to digging into next chapter, next verse in the book of Genesis. Actually going to finish off chapter 33 and then jump into 34 today. And uh, perhaps a story, uh, certainly this one, a story that you probably didn't hear in Sunday school when you were growing up. And uh, I am just going to say this, the the nature of the message, the content of the scripture is sensitive, and I'm going to try to be sensitive about that because uh, we have young ears in here, and I understand that. But uh, I think that it's important that we not skip over things that are in the scripture, um, and just because they're sensitive in nature. Uh, but I will make you aware of that as we begin. And the subject uh, that I believe the scripture. Uh, The big idea that we find here in Genesis chapter 34, in one word, we'd have to say it's revenge. And I can be honest in saying I've never heard a message on revenge, and I've never preached about revenge specifically before. But it is something that we see played out for us here on the pages of Scripture. I heard the story about a man and his wife who 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 were at odds with each other, they were mad at each other, they weren't talking to each other, and it came to the evening one night, and the man suddenly remembered that he had an early morning flight, and he had a problem with waking up, and so he needed his wife to wake him up at 5 a.m. the next morning so that he could make this flight, but he didn't want to be the first one to break the silence, of course, so he just wrote her a note, and he left it on her evening bedside table uh, there beside the bed, and he went on the bed, and uh, the next morning he woke up, and it was 9 o'clock, and he's mad. He trunged downstairs and came to his wife and asked her why she hadn't woken him up. And lo and behold, she directed him to go back to the bedroom. And he went to the bedroom and there was a note left for him on his bedside table. Wake up, dummy. It's 5 a.m. I don't know what's funny about the I know that's funny. But what's funny about that to us is because it's just, it's like poetic justice, Right? I mean, he wouldn't talk to his wife, and so she got back to him. And there's just something inside of us that looks at situations like that. Now, I know that's just a small deal. There's something inside of us that that enjoys something about revenge, something about getting even. And the message today from Genesis chapter 34 is on that subject of revenge. What is revenge? Well, I hope you got your notes when you came in this morning. There should be some in the back if you didn't. By the way, thanks to Austin for helping me with those. But revenge is to inflict pain on uh, to inflict pain or injury in return for an injury received. In other words, it's the desire, it's usually an emotional desire to hurt someone for hurting you. That's the whole idea behind what revenge is. And let's face it, There are circumstances in life that naturally lead to a desire in our heart to want to execute revenge on other people, okay? And we could go down the line and talk about a lot of things, but when when the life of a loved one is meaninglessly taken away, I remember my uh, grandpa, his parents, and uh, uh, and his and one of one of his two of his nieces, they perished in a car accident when a drunk driver uh, ran right into them. And those types of circumstances are not uncommon. And when things like that happen, there's a desire that's in our heart. We want, we want vengeance on the person. We want revenge on the person that, that did something like that to someone that we loved. When a, when a woman is violently abused, you look on those situations, and those situations provoke a, an emotional response in our heart that's called revenge. But I want you to understand right off the bat this morning that there is a significant difference between revenge and justice. And hear me out on this. This is all foundational material that's important for us to understand. There's a significant difference between revenge and what the Bible calls justice. Revenge is all about retaliation. Justice is all about restoring balance. Revenge is predominantly an emotional response, whereas justice is primarily a rational response. It's well thought through. Revenge is personal. Justice is impersonal and impartial. And that's what makes the difficulty between the two of them, especially when you're the person who's been wronged. And it's hard for a person who's been wronged to seek justice when all they desire is revenge. By the way, as a form of example here, the rioting we've seen happening this year in cities across our country are not an example of justice. No matter how much of an outcry there might be for social justice, what we are seeing is revenge. Justice is what is happening in the courtrooms. 
And I understand there's not perfect justice in any man-made courtroom. There will be perfect justice in a courtroom one day. I'll promise you that. But justice is what takes place in the courtroom. The rioting and the nonsense that's been going on this year has showed us a manifestation of revenge in the human heart. And so there is a difference there. And this account in Genesis 34 from, the, from Jacob's life teaches us much about the subject of revenge. And I'll be honest, I really didn't want to preach this passage of Scripture because of the content in it. But now the Lord's going to have me park in it two weeks. It's going to be a two-part sermon. But it's because I believe this is a very relevant topic and very important for all of us to understand. And many of you are part of small groups. One of the things that I figured out in the study we're going through right now is most of those chapters, I look at them and I think, well, this will be a help to somebody. But then I read them and I'm like, whoa, this is a help to me. You know, I had issues in this area. And this is one of those issues, revenge, you look at and you might think, well, yeah, this is okay. We'll, we'll listen to this, but this, I don't have a problem here. Well, hold on a second. Just hold on a second. Because you very well may. And I want to invite you just to open up your heart to allow God to work in your heart about this subject right here. Because God has some wonderful truth he wants us to understand. Something happened to Jacob's only daughter. Dinah is her name. And to be tactful, she was um, abused in a sexual way. And what happened to her was not a good thing. There's nothing about it that was right. There's nothing about it that was fair. What happened to her was grossly wrong. However, how Jacob and his family responded was equally wrong. And that's something we're going to learn from this account in Scripture. Not surprisingly, in all of Genesis chapter 34, guess whose name is not mentioned once? God. And I propose to you that is because God is never for you and I taking the matter of revenge into our own hands. I want you to read in in, uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 19 in your notes there what the Bible says here with me. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, and read this phrase out loud with me, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. God says vengeance is his. This matter of avenging someone, taking revenge, that is his business. It is not your business and my business. And we learn that here in this passage of Scripture. And listen to me, instead of retaliating, God wants us to rely on him when it comes to these issues of injustice. And instead of getting even with someone, I believe God wants us to trust him to deal with the injustices that are in our lives. That is not easy to do especially when you think you can take the matter into your own hands and do a better job with it. And so I ask you this question this morning. Do you have a desire for revenge in your heart today? I want you to consider that as we get into this account of Scripture together. Let's bow our heads and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we come before you and we need your help today. Lord, you know my mind's not as clear as I'd like for it to be. And... uh, Lord, I I know that you are able, in spite of that, to communicate your message, and I pray that you would. And Lord, there may be others who are tired, their minds foggy. I pray you'd give them alertness today and an attentiveness to the Scripture. Even as we open this book, your book, I pray they would open their hearts. My heart would be open, Lord, for you to speak about this matter of uh, revenge and help us to grow from it and learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to listen to the counsel of God's word as we open it up here, starting in Genesis chapter 33. And I want to give you today from God's word four cautionary truths about revenge. Four cautionary truths about revenge. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, I want us to look first out, first off today at the road to revenge. The road to revenge. You see, there is a pathway that leads to revenge And it is paved with many things that we will see together this morning as we look at the Scripture. Let's begin reading this morning in verse number 17 of Genesis 33. And if you're there with me, say amen. Genesis 33, verse 17. The Bible says, And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built an house, and made booths for his cattle. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. 
when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for an hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it Elohi Israel, which means God, the mighty God of Israel. And uh, all seems well in what we just read in this passage of Scripture. But I want you to note down, as even as we've read these several verses here, that the first step on the road to revenge, the road to revenge is first paved with something I'm going to call carelessness. Carelessness. Because what we just read about in Jacob's life was several acts of carelessness. And I'll explain to you why. You see, Jacob, he got careless in his choices. And his carelessness led his family right into this horrid place that we're going to read about when we get to chapter 34. We need to understand that as the people of God here today. You see, God had told Jacob to go somewhere. Where had God told Jacob to go? Anybody remember? Are you all awake this morning? The promised land, right? Back to Canaan. Back to his kindred. Now, I think we have a map this morning. I don't know if we're going to be able to see it very well. Is that up there? You may not be able to see it very well. But if you look over on, the, on my far right side, there's Peniel. There's where Jacob wrestled with God. In the middle there, right on the right side here of the Jordan, is Succoth. On the other side of the Jordan is where the promised land is. All right? Shechem is the, is the one on the, my far left on the top. There, they, they, they've got the pointer there for you, okay? That's Shechem. Over on this side, in the middle, is Succoth. That's where Jacob parked himself. That's where he found himself. He wasn't in the promised land. He didn't do what God told him to do. He stopped short of it. God got rid of all of his problems with Laban and all of his problems with Esau, and then Jacob just decided to chill out. He just decided that all is well in my life right now. I'm tired of the pilgrim life. I'm tired of this tent. I'm tired of this altar. I'm going to just settle down right here. We're going to build a house. We're going to build some stables for our cattle. And we're just going to rest for a while. And it seemed like it was a fine thing to do, except that's not what God told him to do. And he decided to park himself in a place where God had not told him to go. And in this sense, we could say that Jacob became careless as a pilgrim. He got a little caught up in the things of this world. And that's what began to happen here. And we don't know exactly how long Jacob was in Succoth, but we do know it was long enough for his children to become teenagers and young adults. Isn't it funny how many people decide to live carelessly during the most critical child-rearing years, and then they pass down their problems to their own children. This is a challenge for me as a young parent. I know that. I don't want to be careless. Jacob was careless during some of the most formative years of his children's life, and he pays the consequences for it in the next chapter. This carelessness. But not only was he careless as a pilgrim, but he was also careless as a parent. See, the Bible goes on to tell us that after he was there in Succoth, he picked up camp and then he moved to this city which was in the promised land. He went back to living in his tent and being a pilgrim like he was supposed to be and having this uh, mindset of not living for this world but for eternity, but it was only a show because when he moved to Shechem, the Bible says he put his tent right up next to the city. He tried to get as close to the world as he could without actually being in it. And there Jacob was, close to Shechem, and he kept moving closer to the world. And the problem with that is the closer Jacob moved to the world, the more he exposed his children to the evil of it. And we see this act of carelessness here uh, uh, for Jacob in his life. And let me just tell you this, you heed my warning this morning, a careless walk will very quickly lead to a carnal walk. You're never standing idle in your faith. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards at a very hasty speed. And a careless walk will always lead to a carnal walk. And you, you note that down and remember that in your mind. You see, you can be sure that if you take a break from obeying God's will, it will be to the detriment of both you and your family in making that choice to do so. 
One person said, what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. Yeah, mom, dad, even if your children are adult children, you start treating, you start treating church as optional, your children will eventually grow up to a place where they don't think it's necessary. What we do in moderation, our kids will do in excess. And so don't be the man who, in trying to live in step with the world, leads your family right into all the vices of it. We have a responsibility that's given to us, and I see a lot of blame goes on Jacob's plate for his carelessness in this matter. Let me quote to you 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that do, does the will of God will abide forever. You stay in God's will, you'll be fine. You start chasing after the things of this world, hey, it's going to pass away. And it's not going to lead you to any place that's good. And so the first, the, the road to revenge, I find it is first paved with something, and it is paved with carelessness. But number two, number two this morning, not only is it paved with carelessness, but I want you to note also down this morning that the road to revenge is also paved with curiosity. With curiosity. Now, if you're still with me this morning, say Amen. I know it's early, and, uh, uh, but uh, I hope we can, we can help you with these truths today. Verse number 1 of chapter 34. The Bible says, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now the scriptures reveal to us, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not Jacob had any other daughters. What we do know is that, J- that, that he had one daughter. So we have to assume, and we could be wrong about this, we have to assume that she was the only daughter. She had 12 brothers, okay? No, what a deal, okay, uh, to be the only, the only girl, uh, and some of you had a circumstance like that. You grew up with lots of brothers, and, 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 you, and you, were, you, uh, you were the minority among them, okay? It's the opposite of my home, but I, well, I'll digress from that. But she was an only daughter. And with all of these other brothers, and, and because she was the only daughter, there's another thing about, about Dinah. She was the daughter of Leah. Now, Leah was the unloved wife of Jacob. And I guarantee you, Dinah knew that. And what we see manifested from the life of Dinah here is a young lady in desperate need of daddy's attention and not getting any of it. His daddy's all wrapped up in Joseph. We find, we, found out why, we find out that later. And here is Dinah, an innocent girl, probably 15, 16 years old, as we can say, see from the scripture, looking for some attention, looking for some, some direction in her life, and she goes to the city that her dad's just moved her close to. And the Bible says she goes to see the daughters of the land. And I like what one commentator said. He said she didn't just go to see, she went to be seen, as any young lady would. That's what she did. She was. She wanted to find out what the world was all about. And by the way, because her dad had been living for the world for the past several years, she had her daddy's bent for the world as well. We see that happening here in the scripture. She was curious about it. She was curious to experience it. Now, Dinah's name, you know what it means? It means judgment. And she wasn't using very much judgment with the choices she was making here. Again, I go back to Jacob. Where was Jacob? What? What are you, why, are you, why are you letting your daughter walk into this city? Where were you? And sadly, we find that her curiosity of the world led, led her to experience the cruelty of the world. We'll find out about more about that in just a minute. And let me just stop here to say, parents, it's our responsibility to train our kids to stay away from the things of this world. I don't care how unpopular it gets. There will never, never come a day when we should not, as parents and as the people of God, teach our kids abstinence, purity, and all of these other things and staying away from the world. Listen, some of you walk down the road of the world and you know why you want your kids to stay away from it. You don't want to experience some of the same things you found. And I'm telling you something, we need to continue to stand to teach our kids these truths. They don't have to go down the same road that, that you and I have had to go down. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity and spirit, in faith, and in purity. 
that, ha- that those decisions to be pure, to, to, to be faithful, all of those decisions ought to start when a person is young. And we ought to be the, uh, the, the, the catalyst that trains our kids to develop those attributes in their lives. We don't see that happening here in, in this situation. And by the way, I'll say for us as a church, it's our responsibility as well to come alongside parents, some of you older men and women in this church, to take a teenager, to take a young person in, in, in your hand and put an arm around their back and teach them in a Sunday school class or teach them in a youth group or teach them in a, in a junior church or somewhere, pouring into their lives trying to teach them to stay away from the things of this world, to live their lives for God, to do the will of God for their lives so they don't have to go down this road. It's our responsibility to shepherd the next generation and their developmental years to learn the vices of the world and stay away from them. Proverbs 22 and verse number 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. We've got to take a stand for the next generation. Those of us who are adults in this room, we've got to. And I'll also add this in here. Daddies, because it's here. If you don't give your daughter's attention, somebody will. And they won't be giving them the right kind of attention either. You get so caught up with your hunting. You get so caught up with your hobbies. You get so, go so caught up with your job. You don't got time, little Susie? Fine. You'll regret it. You'll regret it. She needs that attention. Boy, God's burdened my heart about this because i got four of them now. But I also say this, Mom. You better love your boy. We might turn out like Shechem, chasing somebody's daughter. I'm, I'm thankful for a dad who I saw love my sister, taught me how to love my daughters, and I'm thankful for a mom who I often, I was trained to do this, when I often took her out on dates. I dated my mom before I ever dated anybody else. I, didn't, I wouldn't have called them dates, obviously. But I learned something from that. We don't see any of that happening in the life of, of, the, of these characters here in the Scripture. And so we see this road to revenge. It's paved. It's paved with several things. It's paved with carelessness. It's paved with curiosity. But I want you to see a third thing this morning. It's also paved with crime. It's paved with crime. Verse number 2, if you're with me this morning, say amen. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, Dinah, He took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clave into Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel. Now, that all sounds good and fine until you look at the word loved. It's talking about a sensual love, a sexual love, not real love. He spake kindly unto the damsel. Boy, he was a smooth talker. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. Well, there's his main problem. He had an authority problem. Get me this damsel to wife. The Bible tells us that Shechem was the prince of Shalem, uh, a city that later became known as Shechem, named after him for what happened here. Because he was the prince, he's used to getting his way. We see that manifest in how he talked to his own father here in the Scripture. And four times in this passage in Genesis chapter 34, the word defiled is used to describe what Shechem did to Dinah. Now, some people try to paint Shechem out to be a saint. I'm going to call him a dirtbag, okay? That's all he was. Takes me off studying about him and reading, reading about him here in the Scripture. By the way, I guess this is close to my heart because I have four daughters, okay? Um, and I was just, we were, we were talking, we were talking about, talking to Lexi the other day about if, if, a, if a suitor ever came uh, for Lexi to Lighthouse Baptist Church, okay, she's got Rich Baker uh, as her dad. That, that dude doesn't have a chance. And he's going he's gonna to come in here and then all, I, I, I just don't know what's going to happen with that girl and getting married, okay. I, I remember when I, when I was younger, um, before we got married, I went to go visit Emily's church. And uh, <laughs> I went in there. And I can't tell you how many times I got threatened to get killed if I hurt her. And looking back on that, I was like, y'all better do that for my daughters too, okay? Um, when I went out to Lancaster, there was a man who was the chief detective for the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. He, he met me with Emily, and he really loved Emily, and pulled me aside, and he said, son, I just want to let you know, I'm the chief detective in the L.A. County uh, Sheriff's Department. I can hide your body out in the desert and kill you, and nobody ever know what happened. 
so don't hurt her. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> don't you wish that's what would have happened here? Didn't quite happen. We see a crime taking place. Shechem defiled Dinah. Now, in verse number one, the first time the Hebrew word is used here, actually in verse two, the first time the Hebrew word is used, it's, it's, it's one Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word anah that means to violate or to humble someone. The next three times it's used in the chapter, a different Hebrew word is used, and the Hebrew word is tameh. And that means to make to feel unclean. And isn't it interesting that a person who has been violated in such a way, they often spend the rest of their life feeling dirty because of what happened to them? That's what happened to Dinah here. And there are many people who have been in this boat. And so to make matters worse, the Bible goes on to tell us that Shechem then kept Dinah in his house and convinced his dad to bargain with Jacob to get Dinah as one of his wives to bring her into his harem, his, his house of women. It's just despicable. Make no mistake about it. What happened here in the Scripture was horridly wrong, was horridly wicked. But the worst part about all of this is that he didn't even see what he did as wrong. And I say this to you this morning, the desire for revenge is always preceded by a demand for justice. I'll say that again. The desire for revenge is always preceded by a demand for justice. We put it another way, when you are wronged and there seems to be no justice taking place to make it right, that's when the desire for revenge is born. You hear people say, well, if no one else is going to do anything about it, then I will. You started it, I'll finish it. I, I don't get back, I get even. <laughs> I've had people say that to me before. We come up with all kinds of statements like this, but this is a real human emotion, and some of us have felt it before, if we be honest, with situations that have happened in our life. The Bible says in Proverbs 6.34, For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not spare! And this is a human emotion that all of us at some point in our life are going to have to face to some degree. And so we see this road to vent, to revenge. It's, it's paved with carelessness. It's paved with curiosity. It's paved with a crime that took place. We see, fourthly, though, it's also paved with cowardice. And this is the most humiliating part of this whole thing for me. It's paved with cowardice. Verse number five, the Bible says, And Jacob heard that he had defiled, that Shechem had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. For all Jacob did do that was wrong in this circumstance, what was most horrendous to me is what he didn't do. He didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. He finds out what happens to his daughter, and he says nothing. In fact, we don't see Jacob say a word until the second to last verse in this chapter. And his silence speaks very loudly. What we see Jacob not doing here is a very humbling thing. What Dinah needed was a daddy who would stand up for her and defend her. What Dinah got was a daddy who was too cowardly to take any action. Jacob had lost total control of his family. Total control of his family. And we see in, his, in the actions of his son, sons that took place in the rest of the chapter, we see that he had totally lost control. He didn't have the conversation with him more. His sons had the conversation with him more. And I say to you this morning, and one person, I'll quote this, this is from Matthew Henry. He said, things never go well when the authority of the parents is lost in the family. Things never go well. We are witnessing today every time we go to Walmart, every time we walk down the street, every time we go to the park, the result of a generation of children who were never told no. We're reaping it, the consequences. Dr. Spock and the whole rest of the Shabana Bang. I say to you, the Bible tells us that the qualifications for a spiritual leader, whether it's a pastor or us, I'll just go ahead and say a, a spiritual leader as a father and mother, there's one thing it says about them in 1 Timothy 3. 
It should be one that rules his house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule the house of uh, his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And, and parents, let me just remind you something here this morning. You need to stand up for your kids when necessary. But before that ever takes place, you ought to learn how to stand up to your kids. I'll not stop preaching this to the day I die, but friend, the Bible still says that the rod is a tool of discipline in the home. Amen. And I've had people tell me, well, it just doesn't work with my kids. You want to tell God his word doesn't work? You go ahead. I'm going to stick with what the Bible says. You know, I don't want to hurt their psyche. You better hurt their psyche. (laughs) Or it's going to get warped. Train up a child in the way he should go. Jacob's carelessness as a parent led right to this place where he he couldn't say anything. He wouldn't say anything. He put his family in this position, and his cowardice is a very deafening thing at this point in the Scripture. And so we see, number one, this morning, the road to revenge. It's very real. And, friend, I give you a stern warning because Genesis 34 didn't have to happen. They didn't walk down this road. That's why I want to park so long on this because God help us, I want to help you with the matter of revenge if you're already in the midst of it, but it would be a whole lot better to keep you from ever having to get to that point. We see the road to revenge, but number two, and this will be the final one for today, number two, I want you to notice the reasons for revenge. The reasons for revenge. You see, I want to start by saying this. When it comes to the reasons for revenge, let me make one biblical fact explicitly clear here. There is never a good reason for you to take revenge. You'll never show it to me from the Bible, I promise you. There is never a good reason for you to take revenge. See, to the contrary, God is clear that we ought to leave the matter of revenge in his hands. That is what the Bible does make clear. And yet in this sin-cursed world, with, with the things that can happen to us, with the things that can happen to the people we love, there are times when we want to take revenge. We don't feel like God's doing it in a timely manner on our timetable. And we see that here, these reasons that led to this desire for revenge in the heart of these boys, Jacob's sons. The first one you could note down is this, pain. Pain. Look at verse number six. If you're still with me, say amen. I'm trying to hasten along. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they had heard it. And the men were what? grieved. They were grieved and they were very wroth because he had wrought folly in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. When Jacob's sons heard what had happened to their sister, they responded like any any red-blooded human being ought to respond. They were hurt by what had happened to their sister. They were hurt because they weren't there. They were hurt Because this whole circumstance that was wrong had taken place. That word hurt, it literally means to, uh, uh, that word grieved, it literally means to be hurt or to be pained. And that's what happened to these boys. They felt this pain in their heart unlike anything I believe they had ever felt. It was very real to them. And when you or someone you love are wronged, it causes this kind of deep hurt within your heart. There's no denying that fact right there. By the way, it can cause you to lose objectivity and rationality. Someone you love is hurt, you're not thinking straight. And I've seen this happen so many times. I've seen people go for their guns. I've seen people take, take actions that didn't make sense because they were hurt because someone they loved was hurt. And that's what was happening in the heart of these boys. They, just, they were hurt. And by the way, that hurt, if it's not dealt with, it will lead you right down the pathway towards revenge, towards taking revenge. That's why, look look in your notes, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15. The Bible says that we need to look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I say to you, apart from the grace of God, when, when you're facing circumstances like this, apart from the grace of God, how easily issues will grow from a root of bitterness that's been implanted in your heart. The root problem was this 
bitterness in the heart of these boys. They were hurt. And it produced some terrible fruit later on in the account of Scripture that we're going to have to study the rest of next week. By, by the way, it may take years. But if you don't deal with the root of bitterness in your heart because you or someone you love were hurt, it'll come out eventually. It'll come out eventually. See, the first reason that led to revenge was, was pain. But the second one, note it down, it was this, anger. Anger. The Bible says in verse 7, And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they had heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were what? Very wroth. Very wroth. That, that, that is terah. The Hebrew terah, it means to be hot. Where they're angry. They're getting a little hot under the collar when they heard what happened to their sister. And, 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 I'll, and I'll say this to, 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 to this point right here. Uh, this anger that they experienced here, it was justifiable. I'm not saying their anger was wrong. Okay, if someone hurt my sister or someone hurt my wife or someone hurt my daughter, I ought to be angry. There's something wrong with me if I'm not angry. There is a certain kind of anger that is okay. Jesus was righteously angry at what was happening in the temple. And there is a form of anger that is righteous anger. But you hear me and you hear me well on this. Um, uh, the anger that leads you to react in a sinful way, that is not righteous anger. See, what, what it really comes down to is what you do with the anger that tells you whether it's righteous or whether it becomes an unrighteous thing, a good thing or a bad thing. You see, Ephesians 4.26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. There's a way to be angry and not sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, the Bible says. It's not wrong to be angry in and of itself, but when it comes to the matter of anger, there comes a point in your life in experiencing anger that you're going to have to deal with it, and the Bible says to do something with it. You know what it says? Put it away. Ephesians 4, and verse 31, the Bible says, and let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be what? Put away from you with all malice, all that resentment. It goes on to say, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, for forgiving one another. That is hard. And I'll tell you something. You'll not take the root of bitterness out of your heart on your own. You'll not do it by going to a shrink. <laughs> you're not gonna, it's, it's not, it's not gonna, the only way you're going to deal with it is through the grace of God at work in your heart, enabling you to forgive, enabling you to process, enabling you to heal. That is the only way you're going to overcome this thing. But undealt with, these reasons that these reasons for revenge will build up in your heart and lead you to the place of taking the act of revenge. And the first is pain. The second is uh, anger. But I want you to look at the third one. And the third one is an offense. See, there was an offense that took place in Dinah and Jacob, Dinah's life and the life of, life of her family. Let's, let's read about it here again in verse 7. The Bible says, And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they had heard it, when they'd heard what happened to Dinah. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth. And notice this, it says, Because he, he had wrought folly, Shechem had wrought folly in Israel, in lying with Jacob's daughter. And read the last phrase of verse 7 out loud with me. Which thing ought not to be done. It ought not to be done. You see, Dinah and her whole family had been disgraced by what had taken place. You look at that word folly in verse 7. That word folly, it literally means to disgrace someone, to desecrate their testimony. They had been disgraced. They had been shamed. That is something that Shechem had done to them. And, and what had been done to Dinah, it never should have happened. And she wasn't the only sufferer for what had been done. Her family bore the reproach of it as well. And they all felt the pain and the anger of what had taken place in a very real way. Think about it. Everywhere they went, there was this matter that sat right in front of them. Every time they go to the store, every time they do business with other, other shepherds and cattlemen, it was there. Everywhere they went, they'd see people whispering, Oh, yeah, did, did you hear what happened? To... They bore the disgrace. If there had been newspapers in that day, Dinah's face would probably have been put on the front of it. That's just how society is. 
and her family bore this offense in a very real way. And the dull pain of this offense only exaggerated their hurt and their anger, leading speedily along towards this increased desire in their hearts for revenge. And you listen to me, and you listen to me well. Ultimately, the precursor to revenge is an offense that never gets dealt with. That is the precursor. You don't know what leads a person to take revenge. It's, there was an offense, there was some hurt in their past that they never dealt with. Or the story uh, from the pastor of the church that we went to yesterday for the youth rally. He said there was a man years ago who came as an arsonist and tried to burn down that church building. Well, they got it put out. Before he was able to do it, he came back two days later and burned the church down. I don't know what happened to that man, but I guarantee you he's seeking revenge for something that had happened at that church at some point in the past. I'm telling you, that's what we see happening here in the scripture. And when, when, when you wrong someone and, and never take ownership for it, you are not just harming your own testimony. In many cases, you're harming their testimonies as well. And I've seen this happen more times than I want to count, more times than I want to remember. But how many times I've seen a person's family uh, 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 or a person's victim bear the reproach for an offense they committed against them? Isn't it a horrible thing that so often the person who does the crime doesn't seem to bear any reproach, but it's the person he does the crime to? It goes around with the disgrace goes around with the shame, and I tell you, there's something within our hearts that we look at situations like that, and that's what creates this desire for revenge. How, how, how can he just go on living? How can he just, do you know what he did to my family member? Do you know what he did to me? You see how revenge comes from this? We see it demonstrated in the scripture. The Bible says of the adulterous man in Proverbs 6.33 that a wound and dishonor shall he get and his reproach shall not be wiped away. But sadly, it's not just always his reproach. It's a person he reproached to. You know, I, I want to read this and, I, and we're almost out of time, I know that. But bear with me for a couple extra minutes this, this morning. Would you do that? Deuteronomy chapter 22. Thank you, one of you said Amen. Hurry up and wrap it up, Richard. Um, verse 25 of Deuteronomy 22. It's in your notes. It says, But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her and lie with her, then the man who, a man only that lay with her shall die. Later, Israel came out with this law. I wonder if they had Dinah in mind when, they, when Moses was writing it. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man rises against his neighbor and slays him, even so is this matter. Let me just tell you something. If you've been a victim of some type of sexual abuse, you have done nothing wrong. You don't have to feel dirty. You don't have to feel guilty. The Bible says when something like that happens, it's just like someone tried to murder you or did murder you. That's the type of emotion that you ought to feel. Because something precious has been taken away from you against your will and it's not your fault. And if you are a victim, I beg you to understand that. God does not look with you with disdain now, Dinah made some foolish choices, but God did not condemn her in this passage of Scripture. She did nothing wrong. She was an innocent girl with a little curiosity that led her into a situation where she was taken advantage of. And if that is where you found yourself, friend, we, look, we don't look down on you, and, and, and God certainly doesn't look down on you. We pity you. And church, it's about time we take that paradigm with the people that we deal with on a week-to-week -week basis. You see, we ought to be the most compassionate towards those who have experienced offenses like this, those who are going through the pain and the anger of offenses like this. We ought to be the most compassionate. Sadly, what often happens is we're the most judgmental. Well, I, well, I told him he shouldn't have. Well, I told her she shouldn't. Whatever. Okay, I'm glad you got life all figured out and never did anything wrong. No. 
This is where it really comes home to me. I've been praying a lot about abortion this year. I just felt so convicted because I'm so strongly against abortion, but I'm so weakly in support of those who are victims of things like this, who are lost and who turn to something like that because they don't know what else to do. I don't know what it's like to have to bring a child into the world for someone who abused me. I don't condemn someone in that position. I want to help them. See, the church is not supposed to be a museum where we come and look at a bunch of perfect people. It's supposed to be a hospital for broken and hurting people to be able to come and get help. We need to be that church. God's burning my heart about this. I don't know what we're going to do about it yet, but friend, we're going to take some definitive action. Because this has broken my heart thinking about what happened to Dinah in this circumstance here. Boy, if you've been a victim, we want to help you. Well, not, I will not think poorly of you. None of us will. We want to help you. And I hope you'll come talk if you need help with something that's happened in your past. And let me make a couple of final statements and we've got to wrap things up. If you've made someone to bear the reproach for your actions against them, you ought to make every endeavor to make it right. You've brought folly in someone's life. You've made a disgrace in their life. You ought to make every effort to make it right. Matthew chapter 5, it's in your notes there. Don't, don't, don't come to worship. Don't, don't come to put on a religious show. Don't, don't try to make your... You've got some serious issues with someone in your past that you've hurt. You need to go get it right. That's the first thing you ought to do. And then I'll say this. If someone has wronged you, even if you can't reconcile the matter with them, you can still find freedom from the desire for revenge through trusting the matter into God's hands and choosing to forgive. How do, I, how, do I, how do I get rid of this desire for revenge? I'm feeling all those things. Trust the matter into God's hands. In other words, let God be the one who is the avenger. Let him be your avenger. You don't have to do it. He'll have just revenge, by the way. And, and he will execute revenge, I guarantee you that. And then choose to forgive. You're going to have to let it go. You're going to have to let them go. I know that's hard but for your own sake, for your own health, you're going to have to let them go. And that can only be by the grace of God. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, Say not, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Just trust God to handle it. Colossians 3, 13, If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, even also do ye. God's forgiven me of a great offense. And by the grace of God, you can forgive those who have offended you as well. Here's the final thing and we'll be done. Callousness. Callousness. This final reason for revenge is probably the most piercing. Let me just read to you the scripture here. Verse 5, or verse number 8. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. I pray you give her him to wife and make you marriages with us and give your daughters unto us and take, your do- uh, take our daughters unto you. You, verse 10, and you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade you therein, and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes. Now here's the dirtbag that did all this stuff. Let me find grace in your eyes. And what, and what you shall say unto me, I'll give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I'll give you according as you shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. Hamor and Shechem, this father and son combo, they came out. Like they're trying to barter with Jacob and his family. Um, they just came out to try to smooth things out. They're treating Dinah like she's property. What, 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 what amount of money do you want? What we see in their life is a callousness to what had been done. In their mind, nothing's done, nothing wrong has been done. Um, this is just like trading cattle to them. I'm, tr- I'm not trying to belittle uh, the, uh, a, 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 a woman's role here. I'm just, uh, what I'm saying is they had no consideration for Dinah or for what they had done against her and her family. They just treated her like she was property. There was such a callousness here that was taking place. And when someone who hurt you goes on living like they've done nothing wrong, that is the straw that breaks the camel's back. That is ultimately the thing that will push you to the desire for revenge if you've allowed that hurt and pain to sit in your heart long enough and build up. When you see that, I'm going to do something. All right? 
It may not be something physical, all right? I've, I've seen people do all kinds of things, and I'm not going to start sharing stories because uh, it, 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 it's not needed. I've seen people run the relationships. I've, I've, I've seen people uh, 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 with, withhold money or try to use money or try to use kids as a way to get revenge. It's heartbreaking. This, this matter of revenge when someone doesn't admit that what they've done is wrong to you, not, not only to you, but before God, that, that can make you want to show them that's wrong by going to those devices. Their callousness builds this desire to want to show them how wrong they are. Now, here's what I'm going to say in conclusion. It is at this point, you must ask yourself a question. And here's the question. Am I going to get even or am I going to trust God? I'll ask it again. Are you going to get even or are you going to trust God? That's really the only two options you have when it comes to this matter right here. You see, dealing with the matter of revenge really comes down to what you believe about God. Do you believe that God is just? Do you believe that he is the avenger of all injustice in this world? If you believe that about God, then you will have to trust him with the matters of injustice in your life. And as a final sidebar here, if you have been criminally violated, God has put government in the world for the justice of those who have been wrong. You need to report it. And if you want me to help you, I'll go with you and do it. You say, well, I've forgiven them. That's fine. You still need to report it. You say, why? They might do it to someone else. They might have been doing it to someone else. I'm telling you, I know this is a tough subject. We've got to take this thing seriously. Because people are hurting. And you may be one of them. It's not a criminal activity. But there is a matter of an offense in your past that you have this desire for revenge. What are you going to do with it? Hey, I'm glad <laughs> that when God should have taken revenge on me for my offenses against him, instead he sent his son and he took revenge on his son so that I could be saved, so that I could be forgiven. 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. I, I will never understand why he did that. We're talking about this desire for revenge. If anybody had, should have had the desire for revenge and acted on it, it was God. And he would have been just. He would have been just in taking revenge on me, taking revenge on you for your sin. But his grace was greater. He's a God of love and a God of justice, but love is his predominant attribute. Because of his great love wherewith he loved us, he's reconciled us to himself. Not only that, but now he ever sits in heaven, interceding on our behalf. Remember we sin again? <laughs> God looks down and says, that needs justice. And Jesus said, yep, you already, did, you already gave me that justice for that sin. <laughs> if God can do that for me, then I think I can do that for somebody else. So what is it going to be? Get even or trust God? Let's bow our head and close our eyes together.